Welcome Church, my name is Trina, and I am so glad you are watching and joining us as a part of our online service today. I'm privileged to volunteer and serve as a part of our worship team playing keyboards. I know I was created to worship God, and so it is a pleasure to get to help lead in that manner here at Heritage. Recently, I was hiking with our two young children at a local area that I know well. As we were going along, I would ask the kids which way they wanted to go when we came to different options in the path. Because I knew the area well, it was easy. I knew exactly where we were heading and could even give suggestions such as this way will be more shaded since it was a warm, sunny day. This past season has not been as easy as that hike with our children, as oftentimes I have struggled to know which way to go. Decisions that were automatic or quite simple before now have been quite complicated, and knowing what is right to do has been more stressful to figure out. Isaiah 30 verse 21 contains this promise for us though, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When I allow other noises, however, to creep into my life, they can be louder than the voice of God leading me. These noises can include friends, family, social media and all its pressures, the news, and even my own insecurities and fears. I have to consciously keep the noise down in my life and prioritize worshiping God and spending time with Him both corporately and privately so that I can hear His gentle voice telling me which way I am to go. I pray that this service today is a time that you can tune out all the noise of this past week worship God and hear his voice leading you. Let's worship together.
weapons form There's a power on my lips Even death can defy When the name of our God is lifted high Come on As there is resurrection power When we sing the name of Jesus Resurrection power When we raise mighty sound Come on, let the praise get loud. Make that empty grave raise out. There is resurrection power. City's name. Come on, there are days. There are days I have seen. Filled with heartache and loss That have buried my heart beneath their weight But every time His praise breaks out Dead things rise up from the ground I won't leave my song inside that empty
Dead men come out of that grave, come out of that grave when we sing. Captives let go of those chains, let go of those chains when we praise. Dead men come out of that grave, come out of that grave when we sing. Captives let go of those chains, let go of those chains when we
Each week we hold space for prayer, a moment where we can gather together even as we're in separate spaces and pursue the face of God together. This week as we do so, I'm so excited for us to continue in this unfiltered family conversation that we've been having. And today we're actually going to be hearing from a special guest speaker named Steve Norman, who's part of an organization called Winning at Home. Winning at Home focuses on allowing those of us who have influence in the home to win, to know that we are investing in the right things in the right ways at the right time, all empowered by Holy Spirit. So I believe you're gonna be in for a real treat and that God is gonna speak deeply to your heart about what he's inviting you and me into in these next days. So I encourage you, get ready to press in and listen well as Steve leads us into the word. Now, as we've been having these family discussions, it can highlight for some of us a certain loneliness that we feel. 
It's possible to be connected into a great big family and still feel as though we're on our own, alone, separate. And I want to encourage you to press in with your heritage family as we seek God together. In fact, the scriptures remind us of God's provision of family for us in one another and in himself when they say this to us. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets prisoners free and gives them joy. We're going to use this scripture to help frame our time of prayer together. So would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, you are the one who speaks life to us, who invites us to live a lifestyle of praise, knowing that you are for us. And because you are for us, we can know deep community with you and one another. And so, Lord, we carry before you the lonely spaces in our hearts the spaces and places where we feel as though we are, we are all alone except for where you are. And we ask you to move and speak and provide in those spaces. God, show us what it means that you are the defender of who we are. You are the one who places the lonely in families. Do that for each of us in a way where we know you are at work. We pray these things with expectation. We ask you to prepare our hearts and minds for the truth of your word even now. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's one thing to say about this crack army team. They don't let their newly found fame go to their heads. They always wind up keeping both feet firmly on the ground. Have you ever just wanted things to be the way you've always dreamed? Tired of feeling like your life just doesn't measure up to those around you? Then you need the Life Filter, the latest technological breakthrough in the world of ignoring reality. It's not just a tool, it's a way of life. Simply take the patented Life Filter device, Snap a picture of the thing you wish to change, choose your happiness level, and presto. The Life Filter creates and posts the finished product to all of your social media accounts. No one will ever see your actual circumstances again. The Life Filter, because fantasy is the new reality. So my wife Kelly and I have four kids, and when they were younger, we decided that we're gonna make a really particularly fascinating Easter memory. So we went out and bought this special 3D bunny cake from Williams-Sonoma, and I don't know if you've ever seen these, but the cake pan actually allows you to make both halves of a bunny that's life-size, and when you make it correctly, you, you seal them together with frosting, it sits upright, and then you frost it, and you put jelly beans on the eyeballs, and it looks like it's something that came out of the catalog. Well, I followed the directions as best I knew how. Made both halves of the bunny, sealed it with frosting, sitting upright on the counter, looks golden. And then we start to frost it. And the white frosting is buttercream, so we know it's gonna be delectable. But as we're going on, we notice that it's starting to pull the bunny 
like apart in halves. And we're like, well, that's not great. So we slather a little bit more on and we, we, get the, we get the frosting all on the ears and the face and everything's just how we want it. And then we stand back to kind of like appreciate it in all of its glory and majesty and are slightly concerned when we see the bunny's head start to bow. And imagine our horror when we see it start to crack right at the base of its neck and then under the weight of its own frosting, the bunny's head falls off. And something that was supposed to be this magical Easter memory turned into the stuff of comical nightmares because there's a beheaded bunny on the Easter kitchen counter. Now, sometimes you follow the directions exactly as you were told and things don't turn out the way that you want them to. And sometimes it's a fun and hilarious family memory. But sometimes the stakes are a little bit higher. Sometimes you follow all the instructions the way that you thought that you should to get an ideal image, a picture-perfect, Instagram-friendly family, and things don't turn out exactly the way that you'd hoped. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that tells us a story of a family that experienced just that, heartbreak, disillusionment, disappointment, and how they learned to trust God in the midst of all of that, and how maybe we can too. About 3,500 years ago, the people of Israel are living in chaos. Their ancestors have been led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses into the Promised Land. But it doesn't take long for them to lose their way. And as a consequence, God allows the neighboring countries and armies to invade and oppress them. And when the people get desperate, they cry out to the Lord for help, and he sends a judge or a ruler or a savior to come and help them. We pick up the story here in Judges chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man from Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We jump ahead to verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him when he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. We're going to skip forward to chapter 14. Samson, now a young man, went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. And then in parentheses, the author says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So we'll skip ahead in the story a little bit. Samson goes down to Timnah for his version of a Philistine bachelor party. The village selects 30 men to be his groomsmen and he gives them a riddle for them to answer by the end of the seven day festival. He says, hey, if you can solve my riddle, I will give each one of you your own set of clothes. But if you can't solve the riddle, all of you owe me a set of clothes. So either I'll give you 30 garments or you'll give me 30 garments. You got seven days, game on. Well, they get four days into the festival and the guys are at their wits end. They can't, they can't solve the riddle to save their lives. 
So they lean on Samson's new bride, a woman that they have grown up with, probably known her since childhood, and say, give us the secret to the riddle or we'll burn your father's house down with you in it. So it's the most severe threat that they can make. So she tries to kind of weasel the answer out of Samson. And like at the last minute, on the morning of the seventh day, he shares it with her. She shares it with the groomsmen. And they give Samson the right answer just as the clock is running down sunset on the seventh day. Then the scriptures say this. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. And he went down to Ashkelon, a town about 20 miles away struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. So imagine that you are Samson's mother and father. You've struggled for years to be able to conceive, and when you finally do, you get this, you get this miracle baby, and you have checked every box that God asked you to check. She didn't consume any alcohol when he was in utero, and, and razors never touched his head. They're doing everything that they have received through divine instructions. And then when he's finally able to come of age and make his own choices, he horrifies them by saying, I want to marry somebody that I've never even had a full conversation with. Somebody I'm just like viscerally attracted to, and she's not a member of our tribe. She doesn't share our God. She doesn't share our values. She doesn't share our commitment to character. She doesn't share our heritage. And you you just have to imagine that something snaps in Samson's parents to be able to say, God, where did we go wrong? This isn't what we wanted for him. This isn't what we wanted for our town. This isn't what we wanted for us as a family. God, what what is going on and what would you have us do? And I believe that Samson's parents kind of give us a a blueprint or a template for how to proceed. We, We don't get the full detail of what's going on behind the scenes, but I'm going to speculate a little bit and see if we can have three steps that we can take when our, when our blueprints for our family get interrupted. And I believe that the first step is this, that when things don't go the way that we had hoped, that we grieve the loss. That the first step in dealing with that disappointment is leaning into the hurt. Anytime there's a loss in our family, whether it's the loss of a relationship, the loss of a dream, or the loss of a loved one, we enter into this wrestling match with grief. I used to think that grief was linear, that there was just, you know, you went through the stages one at a time. But I had a friend who had gone through a heartbreaking loss of losing his wife and the mother of their children at a very young age to cancer. And he said, Steve, grief is like getting dropped into the middle of a forest and having to find your way out without any help. Grief can be strangely disorienting. But the one comfort that we have in the scriptures is that Families have been dealing with disappointment, grief, and loss for centuries. And what I love about the scriptures is that in the Psalms, we have these Psalms of lament, these songs where people cry out to God and say, this God, this isn't the way that it was supposed to be. Will will you intervene? Will you give us comfort? Will you give us hope? Will you give us any shred of a future that we can hang on to in the midst of our disillusionment? There's an author by the name of Susan David. She wrote a book called Emotional Agility. She talked about how when her son was an infant, she took him to the pediatrician's office and for a vaccination, they gave him a a needle poke in his heel. And she said, immediately he began to wail. And she goes, instinctively, as a mother, I held him close and I just started to pat him and say, it's okay, it's okay. And she said, a very wise nurse came up and said this to me, it's not okay. 
but it will be. Being able to grieve as a family allows us to actually speak pain out loud and say, what's happening right now isn't what we'd hope for. It hurts terribly. It doesn't mean that God can't redeem it in time, but we can't skip steps. We have to acknowledge what has been lost in this moment and lean into it. Pete Docter, who directed some really incredible Pixar films, especially like the newly released Soul, talked about shooting the movie Inside Out. And he said initially that movie was supposed to be a, a dance between joy and fear, but the final version was kind of a dance between joy and sorrow. And he said, sorrow is the listening emotion. When we experience sorrow, it prompts us to listen to one another and find out where the source of that hurt is coming from. There's nothing worse than watching our kids hurt. And because my children's pain is painful to watch, I'm all, always tempted to fast forward through it. But if I do that, I miss out on the lessons that God wants to teach me and them in the process. Almost exactly four years ago, our family relocated from suburban Detroit, where Kelly and I had been married, where every single one of our kids had been born, where we built some amazing friendships. We were a part of an incredible church and felt like God was prompting us to move to the other side of the state, to the Grand Rapids area. And it was a move that we made in faith. And we knew that it would kind of sting to, to be uprooted and relocated, but we had no idea how deeply we would grieve and mourn the loss of some of those relationships and some of the comforts and some of the stability that we had in that environment. And when my kids, especially my oldest daughter, who we moved right between seventh and eighth grade, a, a, a tough season of anybody's life by any imagination, but was compounded by the fact that, that we moved her in the middle of middle school and to watch her struggle to find friends, to find community, to find identity, to find purpose was heartbreaking for me. And as a dad, I just wanted to, I wanted to skip all the way through it. But God's been teaching me to slow down and say, it's okay to sit and weep together as a family and say, this wasn't what we'd hoped for, but we believe that God is gonna meet us in it. So that, that first step is to acknowledge that grieving is a discipline, it's a practice that we can learn together as a family. And, we, and, there, and the scriptures give us great permission that it was something that Jesus did as well. We read in John chapter 11, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, he wept with Lazarus's family. And when our family hurts, there's comfort in knowing that Jesus weeps with us too. So if you feel like your family dream or agenda has jumped the rails, we can start by grieving the loss. And then we proceed by praying for protection. In the early years of our parenting, we've got this advantage where we can manipulate the variables in our child's lives. Uh, we've got car seats and we've got seat belts. We can determine when and where they play outside. But as kids get older, it's harder and harder to, get, harder to do. Now, you still might have like middle school and high school tracking abilities if you have apps like Life360, but just because you know where they are doesn't mean that you know exactly what they're doing. And I wonder if Samson's parents were praying for him. Because Samson was physically strong, there wasn't a threat that he faced externally. Samson's greatest danger was himself. And maybe that's what his parents were praying, that he would be protected from himself. Because Samson clearly has impulse control issues. We see it when he tracks down his fiancée. We see it when he connects with a prostitute in Gaza. We see it in this famous encounter that he has with another woman who ultimately does not have his best interests in mind a woman by the name of Delilah. And I, I remember when I was growing up, I'm the fifth of six kids, 
that one of my dad's great prayers is that God would protect us from ourselves. I had an older sister who, this isn't like pre-cell phone days, she was on a date that went so badly that she jumped out of a moving van and to walk to a payphone, borrow a quarter, and call my dad to come and pick her up. So by the time my parents got to, got to my sister and I, the, the youngest of the six kids, they, their anxiety level had kind of been through the ringer for their kids' emotional, spiritual, psychological safety. And I remember one night, very vividly, I was an upperclassman, probably a, a junior or senior in high school. I had come home after a late night with friends and opened, opened the front door. To the left of our front door is our living room, and to the right is the stairs. So if you're going to go up to the bedrooms, you kind of had to come through that path. And I'll never forget looking to my left and seeing my father asleep on his knees with a blanket and an open Bible, praying for the one variable that he couldn't control, which was the choices that his almost adult children were making that he couldn't protect them from. And God doesn't, God doesn't promise that all of our kids will be spared from heartache. God doesn't promise that our families will get to bypass disappointment. But I do believe that God invites us to the point of prayer so that we can be surrendered and we can be present with God in the dreams and the hurts and the desires that we have for our children, their choices, and their well-being. So when you're praying, pray that God will protect your kids, not just from physical harm, but maybe from themselves. Pray that God would protect them from despair and pray that God would protect you from fear. Because I've learned the hard way in my own parenting that when I'm operating out of fear, I tend to lead my family out of fear and manipulation. I try, I try to shame my kids towards a particular set of outcomes. And it doesn't honor them. It doesn't serve them. It doesn't love them well. But love, scriptures tell us that perfect love drives out all fear. And love pushes us towards kindness and grace and truth and patience. So if it starts to feel like things are unraveling, it's okay to pause and grieve whatever it is that you've lost. It's also important that we pray for protection for our minds, for our hearts, our spirits, our bodies, and our unity. And then finally, it's critical that we stop to ask God for insight, to pray this prayer. God, will you please show me what I can't see. I love that the author of Judges put that parenthetical note in the middle of Samson's story to say, Samson was making a choice that his parents didn't like, didn't approve of, and didn't understand. But God had the 30,000 foot view of that whole situation and knew that God was allowing an inappropriate desire on Samson's part to lead him into a set of circumstances that would allow God to get glory and the people of Israel to experience freedom. And although Samson kind of dove headlong into that relationship, hoping that it would be a lifelong run, it only ended up being a seven-day marriage. And Samson experienced heartache on the, on the tail end of that. But even so, God protected him from longer-term consequences of that particular situation. Some, some of the prayers that we pray for our families might not get answered for days, months, or even years. But sometimes our kids become the answers to the prayers that we're praying for them. I, I remember one time I was, was tucking my children in to bed at night. And Kelly and I tried to, try to be mindful and strategic in the names that we gave them. So our oldest daughter is Grace. And so when we tuck her in, we say, hey, God, thank you for Grace, our precious gift. Because the Greek word for Grace also means gift. 
And then when we tuck in Naomi, our second born, we're reminded of the story of Naomi in the Bible, who was a bridge builder. So we, when we tuck her in, we say, hey, God, please be with Naomi. Make her a brave friend. And make Josiah a strong king. And make Miriam a freedom song. And one particular night, I was tucking my son into bed. And as I was walking out the door, he goes, hey, Dad, who tells you who you are? And it hit me like a dagger because I had been going through a particularly challenging season at work where I felt like my performance and my identity and my character and my competence were all being called into question. And in, in that one split second of a completely ordinary and routine exercise, God, God used the faith and the insight and the wisdom of my son to give me clarity to be able to say, like, I, I, I needed to be on my knees before God so that I would allow God to remind me who he says that I am. And not allowing culture or society or strangers or social media or even my place of work to define my identity. Sometimes our kids will, will push us to believe things that we're not ready to believe. I told you before that we were prayerfully considering uh, this move where we would kind of turn away from everything that we had kind of come to know as a family and start from scratch. And at that time, my daughter, who was, I believe she was like 11 at the time, where even when I was struggling, I go, hey, Naomi, what do you think about this decision? And she, without flinching, she goes, I think God is leading us on a new adventure. And sometimes our kids are the breath of faith and fresh air and enthusiasm that we need to take the next step that we need to take as a family. And then sometimes the things that feel like heartache on the front end end up being wisdom or even protection on the tail end. About five years ago, I had interviewed for a, a job at a dream organization. In fact, I had like such an infatuation with them vocationally that I think I had interviewed for five different jobs over the course of 10 years. You would have thought I would have got the hit that God didn't want me there. But on this one particular round, I interviewed for a job, got turned down again. And my wife, Kelly, just in a, in a voice of great gentle truth, she goes, Steve, I just have this, this gnawing sense that God is protecting us from something. And I was like, I can't imagine in a thousand years what we would need to be protected from in a dream scenario like that. And sure enough, just a few years after I'd had that interview, a, a major kind of organizational tidal wave hit that organization that forced them to lay a number of people off. And Kelly's gut instinct or her, her sense of being able to kind of align her understanding or, and wisdom with the Holy Spirit's was dead on. And sometimes we can't see how in the short term God is protecting us from something that could be ultimately destructive for us in the long term. When, when I was kind of at that crossroads with our family, because I, I, I had been kind of in my own mind locked into the sense that we were in our dream house and our dream scenario and we were just going to kind of graduate every kid from that home into this high school district and we would retire there. And when that didn't happen, I was just, I was really rattled. And I remember sitting down with a friend, praying about whether or not we should make this move. And he goes, Steve, it sounds like you're having a kind of a need to have an honest conversation with God. And he goes, so it, so it sounds like you just need to sit down and confess your greatest fear to God. And I said, this guy's name was Jamie. I go, Jamie, I don't need to tell God what I'm feeling. God already knows. He goes, well, you don't need to tell it for God. You need to say it for you. So I remember sitting in the balcony of this chapel in this padded pew in a moment of kind of total desperation, I opened up my hands and I said, God, I confess that I don't trust you with my kids. And then Jamie said, well, let me ask you a follow-up question. Why not? And I said, because God, at my core, I don't believe that you love them as much as I do. And as soon as those words rolled out of my mouth, it was like a, it was like a dam broke internally. 
And I felt like God was able to say, Steve, they are mine before they are yours. Even though this isn't the season that you would have chosen for your family, doesn't mean that I'm not in it and doesn't mean that I won't redeem it. Doesn't mean that I won't pull good out of it. I'm asking you to trust me again. I recently heard the story of a guy by the name of David Eubank who is raising his kids in a combat zone. He's a former special forces officer who assists as a medic and in rare instances will go into live firefights to pull out women and children who are in danger. Uh, he's got a 16-year-old daughter who he says has driven an armored ambulance with him into these scenarios. And he said this, he goes, I never want to be in a position where I'm making decisions for my family that are born out of fear or comfort. And isn't that the great temptation for all of us? That, that we want safe, beautiful, accomplished families that are living comfortable and convenient lives. But I think God wants more. That God is calling us to a life of fierce faith and bold love. And just like God used Samson's family to remind them that even though they were having short-term heart, heartache, God was using it for a broader impact, for a greater purpose. God wasn't just using one family for that family's journey. God was using that one family to affect the destiny of an entire town, a village, even in that particular instance, a nation. So I think the challenge for many of us today, especially if we feel like our, our families don't look all that great when they're unfiltered, is to say, God, will you give us wisdom to zoom out and back? Will you give us perspective that we never would have had on our own? Will you show us how, how your hand, how your invisible hand is moving to stretch us, to grow us, to mobilize us and use us to bless other people for their good? Even if it means we're feeling a little pinched and stretched right now. If your family journey isn't turning out the way that you wanted it to, don't be afraid because God sees what you can't. And God is going to leverage this season for your growth, God's glory, and others' good. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that your love for us is rich and true and real. And God, I thank you that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection promises us that you can redeem any hurt, any heartache, any degree of suffering so that we are conformed to your image and that our gifts and our opportunities and our days are leveraged to advance your kingdom in ways that maybe only you can fully appreciate this side of eternity. In the meantime, Lord, give us faithfulness, give us perseverance, tenacity, grit, and hope to live our lives in the direction that you're inviting us to live them. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you lord 
cielo sin armonía A ti adoramos Solo en ti soy libre Solo en ti hay vida Como cielo sin armonía A ti adoramos This is what living looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like We praise you As we think about things that we can be praising God for, I wanted to let you know that just recently we had a mobile food pantry where we served over 8,000 pounds of food and 327 people in our community. When you give to Heritage Church with radical generosity, this is some of the things that you are a part of. So I'd encourage you to give with a cheerful heart through the Church Center app or through the heritageqc.com website. We've been having some great conversations about our family life. And if you would like some more resources, you can go to the website, which is heritageqc.com or talk to one of our family life pastors. Lastly, River Baptism is coming up soon. And I am so excited for all of this. And if you feel like you're at the point where this is the right next step for you and live locally, I'd encourage you to sign up for River Baptism, either through the Church Center app or through the website. For now, we'll look forward to seeing you guys here again next week. <laughs>